Greetings, Australia. Welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast. Stand Up sits down with a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week, we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world so you don't have to. We separate fact from fiction so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. So this week, we're going to be catching up with Robin again. So Robin is our co-host um, now. She did the last show and she's joining us today so we can have a, a bit of a chat about the goings on in the last couple of weeks next. We missed last week. So Robin, how's everything going for you? And uh, no, I know you're working on a few stories at the moment. I've been keeping up with quite a few of them, especially the... Um, what's what's the the three-part series you just did it was about the masks and i i informed you thusly yeah that's it that's it (laughs) (laughs) i like the title of that yeah so what else has been happening oh look you know life's busy as usual lots of fruit trees to take care of and veggies to grow and that's what keeps me sane in between all of this craziness that you and i are going to spend (laughs) the next little while unpacking yeah (laughs) it certainly is crazy so we, um, I've got quite a few stories today. We're going to go through five today. Um, and first off, we've got The Age, or Fairfax Media it is. It says a shortage of fluoride in some Victorian towns water is causing tooth decay. Is it just a PR push by the government? Is damning evidence showing the toxicity of chemical to, for, to forming brains is only months away from release in the USA? A very interesting story, this one. Uh, which we'll get into shortly. Uh, second story is the RBA attempts to save the economy and run away and run away inflation by raising interest rates again for the tenth time in as many months. It's pushing many lower and middle class homeowners to their limit. Third story is problem, reaction, solution. Digital ID gets the green light from New South Wales and the federal government under the guise of protecting our privacy. What could possibly go wrong? Number four is sling tackle cop. As this case thrown out, as Queensland looks at recruiting police from overseas to fill the gap in the market. And our last story will be talking about uh, Dominic Peretet or Perite, however you say his name. He backflips saying COVID vaccine is useless and various intelligence agencies in the US also admit SARS-CoV-2 most likely came from a lab in Wuhan. Uh, there's a bit more to that story too, which we'll discuss later on. But yes, so um, let's get on to our first story, shall we? Okay, let's do it. All right. So this is from The Age. Uh, Tooth hurts. Children in towns without fluoride suffer high decay rates. So it says here, thousands of Victorians have still no access to fluoridated water, resulting in higher rates of children's tooth decay and avoidable hospitalizations. Rising numbers of parents in rural areas are resorting to buying fluoride supplements for their children, (laughs) while older people are being advised by dentists to buy high-strength over-the-counter fluoride paste to protect their teeth. So this is a Latrobe University study, which was published in the Australian Journal of Rural Health, found a lack of fluoridated drinking water was having adverse implications for almost 150,000 Victorians in more than 60 towns with populations of more than 1,000. Um, there was um, observed a significantly higher levels of decayed children compared with Melbourne. Nap also discovered many parents were buying milk-based fluoride supplements from pharmacy to naturally harden their children's teeth. Now, this is uh, this I put this in here because it wasn't a huge story; it didn't get picked up by a lot of people. But um, I think it's I think it's um, obviously there is a case going on in the US at the moment, which which really threatens to blow open the case against fluoride as a toxin, which, as you know, um, and I know, is is a toxin 
it reduces reduces IQ by significant amounts, 10 points, 15 points, uh, if taken from birth, causes fluorosis and is really not good. The history of this, this chemical is quite tainted. It used to be what well, still is a byproduct of the aluminium industry. And uh, I think it was the father of PR, um, what's, I forget what his name Edward is now. Bernays. Edward Bernays. I think it was his company that, that ended up um, figuring out a way to sell it to governments rather than paying to get it put away in um disposed you know, of as, as, as a hazardous as a hazardous waste yes yeah. <laughs> so i want to get your take on this because as i just said i think this is a really uh look it's it's smart by the industry to do this because obviously they've say they see the writing on the wall they want to enforce that the stuff's really good for you and don't listen to the rubbish that's coming out of the united states mm. Absolutely. And we see here yet again the operation of what I've come to call the, you know, the pharmaceutical industrial academic complex, where you've got these intertwinings between big industries like like fluoride and then academia and pharmaceutical companies. And it's basically academics for hire. So yes, as as you quite rightly point out, there's a huge case that's going on uh, in the United States, where uh, essentially the EPA is being sued, because it has known and its own EPA scientists have acknowledged for many years that the level of fluoridation in U.S. drinking water, it's it's like Australia, it's patchy, you know, not all um, towns or, or areas in the U.S. have access to, or access, quote unquote, are being poisoned with fluoride in the U.S. But, but in many parts of the country that do have fluoridated water, uh, it, the level of fluoride in that water is sufficient to cause significant developmental delays in children, including, as as you rightly pointed out, significant drops in IQ, which don't just impact on that child's prospects, but have a broader impact on on the entire economy. I mean, if you're condemning a a good chunk of children, a good percentage of, of children to achieve far less than they would have done if they'd had their full um. Uh, if they'd achieved their full academic potential, then that that's devastating for the communities that they live in, the state and the entire country. So, yes, I, I think what we're most likely seeing here is someone has, has got on the front foot, found an academic for hire at La Trobe, written up a puff piece. I, I should say also that rates of, of, of what are called DMFT, decayed missing and filled teeth, in children in Europe declined at the same rate. And by the way, uh, why I'm particularly um, mentioning Europe is is that they've never had fluoride added to their their drinking water. Okay, so regions of the world where no fluoride was ever added to drinking water had the same rate of decline in rates of decayed missing and and, and filled teeth in children as areas that did add uh, add fluoride to drinking water. Okay, so that's that's not uh, that's not open to debate. Those stats are really clear. Now, to the extent that fluoride has any beneficial properties for for teeth, and I have a a client who's a retired dentist. Uh, He's actually I've had a lot of conversations with him about that. He's actually reasonably dubious that that fluoride has any beneficial properties for for teeth. But if we if we allow there might be some benefit in terms of hardening teeth, it's from direct application Mm. of fluoride to teeth. It is not 
by ingestion. The vast majority of water that is consumed doesn't go anywhere near teeth. Yep. And the idea that, that we're, we're trading off children's IQ because, because we're valuing the rate of tooth decay above their IQ, I mean, that's just absurd. Yep. That's crazy. It certainly is. It's not something I see as a, a grand conspiracy by our governments to poison us, to be honest with you, but I think it's just one of those situations where it's been done for so long, you know, you see people doing things, that, why are you doing that? Like, I don't know, we've always done it. We've always done it like this. Who are you to say? You know, it's the same thing with the vaccine debate. You know, people don't know any better. So in most politicians. There, there are entire industries, um, including industries of lobbyists, that, that, that grow up around protecting these practices. Definitely. That's industry-based. But I think most people are just you know, um, willing, well, unwilling idiots to the, to the, the topic itself. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it takes me back when I used to... Um, when I started the paleo diet and I did a bit of research into, you know, man before in the industrial age. And the one thing they, I mean, they might've died early. A lot of these, um, or cave, let's call them cavemen. Um, they might've died earlier because of, you know, uh, brutal injuries and getting eaten by wild tigers and whatever. But one thing they found is when they did dig these people up, they'd noticed their teeth were beautiful. They had a great set of teeth. They were strong. They had the full set of teeth mm. and, the the onset of the industrial era where we started farming grains and um, where our diets were mainly made up of that, you start to see yeah, degradation of teeth and bones in our society. So I'd, you have to- um, I'd caveat that somewhat or I'd finesse that somewhat. Grains have been a major part of, of dietary intake of, of humans for uh, actually since well before agriculture as such. The difference is they were con- they were consumed in an unrefined form. Definitely. So where you really see deterioration of the state of people's teeth is um, when during the Industrial Revolution, technologies were developed to refine grains. So in people who eat... Um, like in, in Pacific Islands where sugarcane is cultivated and the people eat sugarcane, they actually have magnificent teeth because if you've ever tried chomping on a length of sugarcane, <laughs> yep. you'll know that you'd have to chew through metres and metres of sugarcane to, to get enough sugar to actually damage your teeth. And by that time you'll have consumed or attempted to consume so much fibre that there's, <laughs> there's a net benefit to teeth rather than a net harm. But, yeah, ancient people had great teeth, no doubt. Def- Definitely, and like you know, definitely not um, bagging on grains here because I love I love a good grain. I think it's just the the amount that we started eating, um, you know, really started to affect our growth. And I bring this, I, I say this because I bring this back to if this is true that these towns are struggling more with teeth health. Obviously, we know correlation is not causation. Is there another reason? Is it is it lower socioeconomic? I'm so glad. They- that because it was the first thing that popped into my head what we're comparing the the rates of decayed missing and filled teeth in children in rural towns to melbourne can anyone think what might make it you know of some other factors that might be different i mean since having moved to a rural area myself i can tell you i see signs of poverty that i never saw in the city genuine poverty okay so that's what 
uh, it's an obvious confounding factor between children in rural areas and children in urban areas. So it's access or lack of access to fresh food. It's access or lack of access to to preventive dental services. How many of these kids in rural areas get taken to the dentist, say once once a once every six months or once a year for a checkup, compared to kids in urban areas where there's you know plenty of dentists within walking distance or easy driving distance? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think you've you've nailed it on the head there. It's obviously it's just speculation what we're talking about, but I think you know these studies just leave out elephants in the room. Well, if you're if you're calling yourself an academic or a researcher at La Trobe University, and look, I haven't seen this study that was referred to. Maybe they did uh, attempt some uh, you know, some adjustment for confounding factors. If they did not. I don't see how they can justify their position as, as academics. Let's not forget, you know, we we pay their salaries through our taxation. Okay, mm. they're hired at public expense. If they if they don't know how to you know, how to design a study that adjusts for confounding factors like that, man, I think it's an argument for us to not pay our tax. Yeah. Oh, look, I, I think they I think they know exactly how to do it. They're just paid not to. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Yeah. Indeed. indeed. <laughs> So um, going back to this this uh, stud, these this court case in the states, uh, and this will finish this this um, chat off about the story. But um, the uh, so the judge Edward M Chen of the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California said on Tuesday he will make two federal studies and related information public on or before March fifteenth. So I don't I doubt they were released at any time before March fifteenth. But if these, you are listening, make sure you look at it that the EPA apparently, uh, like these studies have been completed for quite some time. Mm, and the since EPA, 2020, apparently. Yeah. And the EPA has refused to make them public. Now, yeah. I, I, you don't need to be a confuci theorist to find that really <laughs> suspicious. Like if those studies showed uh, fluoride's great, um, it's all wonderful, it's all puppy dogs and, and, and rainbows and unicorns and it makes kids smart or at least it doesn't make them dumb, then they would have released that study back in 2020, wouldn't they? I mean, obviously. They certainly would have. They certainly they probably thought it might blow over with the with the pandemic and stuff, but it's certainly not going to. And this is <laughs> yeah, look, this unfortunately the cynic in me thinks this is just going to be ignored by the general public. But uh it does open up a lot of um avenue to sue the governments uh, in, in the United in, States at this point in time. Indeed. Yeah. Yes, yes. And and once that uh, once that ball starts rolling down the hill in the US, then there will be opportunities in other countries as well where people are being subjected to forced medication, mm. mandated medication through the water supply. Yeah. I mean, sorry, one more thing to add here. So this is not like fluoride is one thing they've put in the water, but they have floated putting other things in the water. Uh, there was a, a, a while back, I can't exactly remember who it was, floated putting antidepressants in the water and yes. lithium and and uh statins that was also statins. we put statins in the in the drinking water because everyone needs them everyone could benefit and they could possibly harm anyone could they <laughs> it's just mad world isn't it mm. great yeah mad scientists quite literally mad scientists yeah well speaking of mad scientists um our reserve bank has just raised rates to 3.6 percent it's 11 year high uh, the interesting part of this, it's the 10th time in as many months, I believe, that it's been risen. So this has added another $1,000 a month to anybody's mortgage that is, I think, uh, lending $650,000. 
So that's not a small chunk of change. Now, this has um, put a lot of uh, stress on people. And our first story is here is low to meet peak mental health body as rate rise to 3.6 stress skyrocket. So, yeah, I know I've noticed a bit of a drop off in my business. I have a cafe um, and people are spending less during the week and just saving it for the weekend. Um, I, can't, I don't have a mortgage, luckily. I can't imagine what the stress people would be going through at the moment. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I'd like to get your take on this. There doesn't seem to be a lot of talk about why we're seeing inflation, only mm. why we need to get it under control. Again, you and I are totally on the same wavelength with this because, all right, why why do we have inflation? Well, it wouldn't have anything to do with the fact that the government shut our entire economy down, you know, closed our borders, uh, stopped, stopped tourism, um, closed businesses, stopped people going to gyms and restaurants and movie theatres and uh, just shut down a whole lot of a massive segment of the economy as if you could do that as if you can turn off the economy and then what did they do so so to keep all of those people going through all that time they they gave them benefits where did those benefits come from well they printed money so i I don't see why this is so difficult to understand if if a government is just printing money, if they're just creating money out of thin air, that in itself is inflationary. What people need to realize is, is that inflation is is a tax. It's a hidden form of taxation. So while while we've got the government sort of making various noises about tax reform and we're going to tax the rich and all the rest of it, everyone is being slugged with this whacking great inflation tax, but it's not named as a tax, including by most financial journalists. They don't point out the obvious. The government is taxing you through inflation. Mm, Yeah, you're right there. I think there's a real lack of... um understanding about how the financial system operates absolutely um, i can recommend a um a documentary by james corbett for anybody who wants to understand a little bit more called century of enslavement mm-hmm. it's about the federal reserve system and look this is the way it works anywhere you've got a central bank the central bank prints the money and the government loans it off the central bank then they have to pay it back in interest so this that money does not get loaned to them it gets created and then sent out. This is how it works. It happens every time you use a credit card, same thing happens. Every time you um, loan money from a bank, you're not really loaning the money, they're creating it. But this is in a controlled system. I mean, that that causes inflation in itself, which is why we see, you know, go up 3% a year and our wages keep having to constantly go up with it. But this, yeah, obviously, like you were saying, the printing of money during the pandemic is the reason why we're in this mess right now. And I'd like to see them talk more about it. I'd like to, I'd like the public to educate themselves a little bit more. And what, what was the benefit to Australia of all of that shutting down of our economy and the closing of our borders? What was the benefit? You know, we were supposed to be protecting ourselves from COVID. So you have a look at, at what has happened and our rates of COVID or whatever is, is, is called COVID because who the heck knows the diagnostic criteria is so woolly. They're virtually non-existent. So, you know, we, we now have the highest rates of, of, of COVID that we've had throughout the entire scandemic. What was the benefit of us closing our borders and sitting and waiting until the magic vaccines came along, right? We've suffered all of this economic harm and, and, the consequences of this economic harm are actually going to go on for generations. And I'm not just talking about the fact that 
yeah, a lot of people are are going to be under tremendous financial stress, not being able to afford their mortgage payments, perhaps uh, defaulting on their mortgages. But don't worry, because then they'll own nothing and be happy, right? Mm. It's also the fact that the interruption to, to children's schooling that took place during um, during all those shutdowns, there have been economic calculations made as to the uh like for, for every year of schooling that, that a child loses, their their total um, income over the course of their lifetime is reduced by some some outrageous sum of money. I don't remember the exact figures, but I mean we're we're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars per per child per year of schooling lost, and um, for many kids they they lost more than a year of schooling. And yeah. then, of course, they were so far behind when they went back to in-person school that that they're now just staring out the window because they they didn't learn some of the basic fundamental concepts. And there's no, you know, there's no uh, formal catch-up process in place for any of that. No, there's not. Like, uh, I mean, we're lucky because my my wife's a school teacher and we, she was able to make sure they they catch up. But just anxiety itself, like I know they struggled a bit with just going back. Settling back in, settling back in. It's still, still like that a little bit, to be honest, yeah. for them. I mean, it's been a year since they've been able to go back to school properly, um, yeah. and we've only we've only just started to get over that anxiety now. It's it's wow. very tough, very tough on them. It's tough on the whole family. Um, oh, intense. So yes, we've we've been we've had a, a serious economic blow dealt to us, and and for no benefit, for no gain. But again, you know. Who who is calling on the government to be held to account? Where where are the financial journalists from papers like the Financial Review or the Herald or the Age? Why aren't they jumping up and down and saying the government really screwed up? Yeah, look, I think the RBA actually mentioned that the other day. Look, they said we're doing our job, the government isn't. And I actually, for once, I actually agree with the RBA because I think the RBA is doing their job. Um, they and, have to sweep up after the government's mess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they do. They do. And like going back to the home loan stuff, I mean, Scott Pape came out, um, the Barefoot Investor, during the week and got slammed for it, just saying, "Look, it's your, um, you lent too much money. Um, don't, don't sort of complain about it when you can't afford to pay your rent, your mortgage." Which I kind of agree with, to be honest. I think. If you're borrowing at the edge there, which I think a lot of the time as well, you've got to understand that property prices really are running away from people. So they just want to get into the market, whatever they've got. And just, yeah, it's kind of like playing Russian roulette really, isn't it? Just hope and pray that rates don't go up. This is one of those situations where it just hasn't worked out for people. But people do have to take a bit of uh, responsibility for getting themselves into a situation where they can't pay their mortgages. This does also come down to the banks and their lending criteria, though. And, yeah. you know, rather than being willing to hand out massive loans to, to people who who um, are quite likely to be in a position at some point where they can't pay them back, I mean, the, the banks just need to have tighter lending criteria. I mean, the whole, the whole thing's a mess. Australian real estate is just vastly overvalued by international standards. We, we, we pay so much for housing here. That's um, unbelievable. <laughs> I think the property prices around here since we moved to the area two years ago have doubled. Mm, yeah, absolutely yeah. nuts, just nuts. Yeah. All the uh, all the Mexicans down from down south escaping to Queensland. I think that's uh, that's what I get told by the, the Queenslanders around here. Even in the little country town that I I now live near, not not in, but near that that's happened. Real estate prices are being are being pushed up because of you know those southern folk yeah. <laughs> flooding into. <laughs> 
Uh, they're a good lot, though, aren't they, the Queenslanders? They are, yes. I mean, having been a Sydney girl all my life, um, with certain, shall we say, attitudes about Queenslanders in my family, I've, <laughs> I've now realised, look, they're, 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 uh, they're down-to-earth folk, very friendly. They certainly are, certainly are. It was a good move for us to come here. So, Anyway, on to our third story. Um, I've got an article here from innovationoz.com. Never heard of it before, but um, it's Dominic Dominello, who, if you remember, he's the one that got Bell's palsy last year after getting his um, getting his jab. But it so, had nothing to do with it. No, of course not. It didn't have anything to do with it. Um, <laughs> correlation is not causation, Robin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I wish they could apply that to the fluoride issue, right? But never yeah. mind. No, of course not. It says uh, it's Domino's, oh, it's Domino's, Dominello's swan song, digital ID, our holy grail. So outgoing New South Wales Digital Minister Victor Dominello has used his last ministerial address to champion the state's forthcoming decentralised digital identity system as a lever for huge microeconomic reform. So I think um, this actually ties into the last story um, where we're sort of debasing our currency and we'll go into that a little bit more after we've um, gone through a few more of these stories here. But uh, this comes on the back of the the, gov- the actual federal government saying that they are giving the new digital identity system a go-ahead. So my, uh, Finance Minister Katie Gallagher is expected to advise state and digital, uh, sorry, territory digital ministers on Friday that the government uh, wants digital identity legislation to be introduced by the end of the year after the Albanese government pressed the go button on a national system. So obviously this comes on the back of the the cyber attacks last year, which uh, were very all conveniently happened at the same time to a bunch of big companies. Um, ones terribly convenient. Yeah. Yes, yes, of course. So now now it's the government's coming in to sweep in and 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 save all of us like they usually do, um, because our data is going to be so much safer with them, right? The whole notion that centralizing your data is is the right solution to you know, to, to a problem of, of increasing cyber attacks. It just defies logic. It really does. So, you know, ra- rather than having your data sort of scattered in, in various parts of cyberspace and so, you know, if someone breaks into your bank account, that's all they have access to. No, why don't we just put it all in the one place? And <laughs> if they break into that, they've got the works. They've got the <laughs> lot. I mean, it's just genius, isn't it? Absolute genius. You've got to be kidding me. And who asked for this? Who voted for this? Was this on the on the election uh, platform of of any of the parties when they went to the polls? No, there's been no public discussion of this. Where is the public demand for this? Where are people saying, "Oh, please, please, Mr. Politician, please give me a digital ID. I want that so badly." No, there's no democratic process at work here. And and of course, as as you and I'm sure most of our listeners know only too well, the same agenda is being rolled out in in countries all over the world at the same time. So who's running this? Who's pushing all of our little puppet politicians to in to you know to to put these policies on the table and push them forward? And and what is their aim? Now I've got my suspicions, of course, and there's a whole school of thought that says the the uh the the pandemic slash plandemic was really just a ploy. 
uh, a cover story for getting this whole digital ID thing, uh, for, for getting the agenda pushed forward. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's plausible to me. But why why is it that they want digital IDs so badly? Because it's not for us, yeah. that's for sure. Well, it depends what you what you mean by that. It, it is for us, but it's not for us. Not for our benefit, yeah. Okay, good point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Correct my language there. Uh, it's not for our benefit. Yeah, look, this isn't a conspiracy show, but I do believe uh, you're right about you know your suspicions about why this all happened. I heard Ed Dowd, you know, Ed Dowd, the ex-Black Rock ex-Black guy. Black Rock, yeah. He was on the um, on a podcast the other day, and he said, "Name the last time every government in the, in the world has agreed on anything at the same time." Mm. So it's mm. never happened, never except, happened. For this, except for this one time. Yes. Obviously, the the going back to our last story, the economy is going tits up. It was going tits up before this, but this is just, I think it's a problem, reaction, solution. Mm-hmm. We create the problem, we get the reaction, we're, now we've got the solution. We've got digital ID and we've got CBDCs. Yes. And those two yes. things are intrinsically That's tied together. in the wings. And there's been, again, no public discussion of central bank digital currencies, although uh, although they they various models for them are being developed in various countries and there have been trials of them limited trials in a few countries um including in a region in China uh there is a uh, there is a website that actually has a uh, has a map where you can sort of find your country and see what stage they're up to in terms of developing and implementing CBDCs but yes this this is this is coming and again who wanted this who is asking for this who thinks this is a good idea Let's face it, central bank digital currency, uh, 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 it's misnamed. It's not a currency. This is a voucher system. Mm. It's not money like you have now. It's not cash in your wallet. It's not even um, money that that you have in your bank account where you can go and spend that wherever you please. No, this is programmable, programmable um, uh, vouchers. Yep. And so who's doing, who's going to do the programming? Well, this is the CCP system, isn't it? Yeah. So this is exactly what happens there at the moment. Um, so you know, once you've got this digital ID where they've got every single one of your details on file, mm. they'll know when you haven't gone to get your vaccination. They'll know when you haven't gone to get your your health checkup and all that. They will basically be able to shut shut your bank account, with not your bank account, your your digital uh, credits down if they feel like they have to. Yes, and and we, but they wouldn't do that, would they? Oh, really? So what happened? What what happened in the trucker protest in in Ottawa, where Christia Freeland uh, bragged, you know, cackled about how much it was almost like how much fun she was having in shutting down the bank accounts mm. of of people who were involved in that trucker protest, and even people who donated, people who just you know, thought they'd, they'd sling 10 bucks to the truckers to buy some food or, you know, clean water or something for them. And now, of course, with the the recent decision by um, Paul Rouleau, basically saying, yep, the uh, the Trudeau's government um, acted properly, you know, they, <laughs> they in, in, in terms of um, invoking the, what, it wasn't the War Emergencies Act, um, whatever they renamed it as, the, the Emergencies Act, Okay, so so that that commission, which was reviewing um, Trudeau's government's response to the trucker protest, has basically said, "Yep, they did the right thing." So so now governments have the go ahead to cut off their citizens' bank accounts if those citizens are doing things that they don't like. 
Well, it's a bit inconvenient, though, when you have to contact the bank and say, hey, shut down the bank account of Joe Blow. But by God, if you if you have the, the little magic button that can shut that person's CBDC down account, how convenient is that? Yep, yep. That's very, it's very convenient. The Trudeau stuff was just... I found it hilarious. It just reminded me of that of that quote. We've investigated ourselves and found no wrongdoing. <laughs> <laughs> First to point your commissioner, it wouldn't yeah. have had anything to do with the fact that Rouleau is a major donor to, to the Liberal Party, you know, that 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 uh Trudeau, of course, being a, a, a Liberal uh, party prime minister. Oh, of course not. I mean, it's like the uh the, the floods in Melbourne recently. The uh the, the person who was investigating the I think they were like um fences or something like big gates that went around the Flemington race course, which probably caused the floods in the first place. The person who was investigating that was the person who actually put them up in the first place. Yeah. So yeah. it's just this big circular <laughs> economy of corruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's put Jane Holton in charge of the inquiry on, on how quarantine hotels were were, were oh, your old old events who one Holton. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I think um yeah, we'll, we'll leave that one there, but this is pretty interesting. I think this is probably the most important um, thing we could really have our finger on at the moment is this digital ID and CBDCs because it's my belief that once, if, so I'm not going to say once, I'm going to say if these things come into place, then it's going to be very hard to get out of it. Yes, and the only way that that it, it can uh, be held back is, is if massive numbers of people say, hell no. No, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that. And again, with with no coverage of this in any of the so-called mainstream media, how are people going to know what this digital ID scheme is all about and and you know what the ultimate aim of it is? Yeah, yeah. And you know, as you so say here, the stand up podcast, share it with your friends. <laughs> yeah, please share this with your friends. <laughs> All right, so we'll go to our next story now. Uh, this is uh, about the police. Um, we're going to go to two states. Firstly, we are going to um, talk about this cop that got let off, and I'm not sure if you've seen the video. I have seen the video. Absolutely shocking video. It's oh, yeah. makes makes you want to throw up, to be honest. I mean, it's it's kind of like we, we've been almost um, we've had our senses dulled to this over the last couple of years with all the outrageous things that we've seen police do in this country and overseas. But, man, that that was a standout, wasn't it? It certainly was. It was just it was shocking. And if you're not sure what we're talking about, um, a case against Link Tackle Police Officer is thrown out. So this is a, a guy, a, a cop, who on video had at Flinders Street Station on the concrete had just sling tackled this protester to the ground headfirst it was awful. It's something that if you saw that, like I'm an AFL fan, and uh, if you had to seen that in AFL, you would have been you would have gotten 12 weeks for that. Yeah, it's just very very dangerous, and that's on grass. This is on concrete. On so, concrete. luckily, the guy came out. Um, I'm not sure he might he might have concussion issues the rest of his life. You never know. He didn't die. Luckily, uh, turns out this. Um, so Bo Barrett was the sergeant, was suspended from Victoria Police in charge of recklessly causing injury and assault after footage of him tackling Daniel Peterson English to the ground at Flint Street Station, went viral on social media. So they said the day that it happened, hundreds of anti-lockdown, anti-vaccine mandate protesters marched through the CBD and occupied the Shrine of Remembrance where they clashed with police and attempted to clear the crowd. So he's discharged the case on Friday morning, finding a jury could not possibly conclude Barrett had criminal intent and acted unlawfully when he tackled Peterson English. 
Okay, said said um, Starry. Oh, that's the magistrate, Rob Starry. Said Peterson English had acted in a menacing and abusive manner towards police, disregarding repeated requests from the officer to leave the station, and kept his distance, and Barrett had acted on a perceived threat. Uh, if you see the video, there was no perceived threat. He was standing there by himself on his phone, yes. by the looks of it, yes. and got sling tackled to the to the ground. This is one thing no that cops get toward this officer. I no, mean, not at all. And they're trained to be able to withstand mm. people abusing them. And I have no doubt this girl would have been throwing abuse because I've been to these protests. Mm. But to be honest, I think they deserve the abuse back then, the way they were acting. When um, I was a kid, my mother said sticks and stones will might might break your bones, but names will never hurt you. So yeah. as you say, police, police are, are meant to receive training so that if people are taunting them or hurling verbal abuse, they, they have de-escalation techniques. If you don't go and tackle a guy to the ground and slam his head into concrete when he's not making any move towards you, the guy was not armed, he was not menacing, he was not threatening. And if he says, if he says, you know, nasty words to you. I mean, it just it makes your head explode, doesn't it? It is a you wonder what his actual is defense was. Word to me, so I'm entitled to 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 crash tackle him. Yeah, and this guy turns out he had um, psychiatric disorder as well. I think he's schizophrenic. Again, aren't police supposed to be trained in appropriate management of, of people with mental health issues? Aren't they supposed to be trained to de-escalate this? Yeah, yeah. and that, to to think to think that a, a judicial officer could see that footage and go, yeah, yeah, nothing to answer for. I, what, honestly, what hope, what hope is there that we'll see any, any remedy in the courts for what's been done to us when they're populated by people like that? We won't. And it's not, it's not shocking. I think everybody expected this guy to get off because we still haven't seen anything happen to the, you know, you saw Matt Lawson get shot um, in the stomach, uh, which he had massive injuries from for six months. He was struggling to, to move um and we saw people get shot in the back what happened to the guy who pepper sprayed the 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 older woman in the face when she was lying defenseless on her back what happened to that person i'm not sure not sure i have a feeling he might have been reprimanded for that reprimand Uh, oh yeah what clap across the wrist (laughs) probably with pay as well yeah to be honest but i mean just the the absolute insanity of it down there victoria um Speaking from experience, being to some of these protests, they were scary. They were scary. Like I got charged with a horse at one of them. Um, and I was about to get mowed down by it. I had to jump into a, a box of oranges or, or mandarins or something at the right. big market. Yeah. And just the contrast of coming up here to Queensland and going to a protest. And the cops are around going, G'day, mate. How you going? You know, and I, just- I, went to, I went to several that were held in the Brisbane Botanic Gardens, and that's exactly how it was. Yeah. The, the police were sort of standing on the outskirts, you know, having a bit of a joke and a laugh, and there was there was no menace that I no. saw at all. No. And there was like two or three of them around the perimeter rather than I think the one at, uh, at Victoria Market. I think we counted like 300 cops. Yeah. It was a full army. Absolutely, um, yeah. I, I can't help but think that that the massive clean out of the Queensland police force that took place um, as a result of the Fitzgerald inquiry uh, did have some lasting impact on the culture of policing here in in Queensland. Because, you know, th- those those of those are the the audience who are old enough to remember the days of, of Joe Bielke Peterson, who sort of ruled over Queensland for however many decades that was, and that was why Queensland had such a bad reputation in the other states. And the Queensland police were as corrupt as heck 
I mean, it was mm. it was just a stinking, rotting, rotting, festering mass of corruption, and the Fitzgerald inquiry kind of cleaned that out. So I don't know whether whether it's that that explains the different attitude of the police here, but um, I've, I've heard of only a few uh, nasty incidents involving the police in in Queensland. Massive difference between Queensland police and New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah, definitely, definitely, I definitely have a lot more respect for the police up here than Victoria. I just God, yeah, I don't think I'd let. I don't think I'd serve them, and <laughs> if I was still in, I don't. Yeah, just I don't think I would. I don't think I could bring myself to do it. But speaking of the um the Queensland police, I've got a clip to play here. Uh, it's the second part of this story, so I'm just going to pull it up. All right has struck a landmark deal. The Queensland government has struck a landmark deal which could help to address a statewide shortage of police officers. Let's go live to 7 News reporter Georgia Costi on the Gold Coast. Uh, Georgia, it involves recruiting help from overseas. It does, Eddie, and it's hoped that this new initiative will see 500 new Queensland police officers each year for the next five years. Now, how it would work is that these officers don't even need to be an Australian a permanent resident. They just have to be a serving police officer in their own country and once they come here to Queensland they will be trained to become a qualified constable. But of course we know this new idea is the result of dwindling police numbers. New data has revealed that right now there are around seven Queensland police stations which are understaffed and internal data does also show that this year alone 1,200 new recruits would be needed to keep up with demand. So Eddie, it really is a complex situation. We know crime is seemingly getting worse in Queensland, but we don't have enough boots on the ground to deal with it. So the government is looking to alternative solutions. All right. Thank you, George. What could go wrong, Robin? What, what could possibly go wrong when you bring in people trained in other countries? And look, I mean, they're not specifying which countries that they're going to bring them in from, but let's, let's, just, let's just take it as a, as a given that the training of police officers in other countries that that uh, let's just say don't don't share the standards or, or don't share don't share the historical background of liberal democratic countries it's going to be just a tad different to the kind of training that the police officers undergo here mm. um, i mean we've certainly seen very very bad behavior from from victorian uh, Victoria Police and New South Wales Police as well. I don't know enough about the other states to comment, um, but but it, you know there, there there are standards, okay, and and they they have breached those standards. But what happens when you bring in police trained in other countries that don't even have those standards to start with? And here's something else. Uh, this this story reminds me also of something that um, I stumbled across just recently where apparently uh, the Australian military is now being given special training in how to quell uh, protests. Mm, I saw that. I saw that. Yeah. I've just sent a clip there, so I'm not sure how... Um you know, trustworthy it is the, the source or anything like that. But, yeah, it certainly was interesting. Yes. And so uh, is, isn't the point of the military to protect the people of the country that they serve against other people, right? <laughs> They're not supposed to take up arms against their own countrymen. Isn't the, the point of, of police to, you know, basically protect the good guys against the bad guys? Well, 
the your definition of good guy and bad guy, bad guy might have a, a little bit to do with who's paying you, perhaps, you know, mm. just, just putting that idea out there <laughs> for consideration. And yep. I, if you combine that, if you combine that um, mentality, I suppose, of identifying with power, because essentially you are, you are the enforcement agent for whoever's holding that power. So if you combine that, there's, there's an inherent issue, I suppose, even in, in liberal democratic countries, that the, the police force, you know, is hired by the, the institutions of power in that country. Now, combine that with, with training um, received in countries where it's, it's really quite routine for the government to turn on its own people and no one really bats an eyelid at that. And man, you you you've got uh, you, yeah, as you said at the start, what could possibly go wrong? Mm. What could possibly go wrong with yeah. this? And they don't bat an eyelid when they turn on their own people. So mm. when it's someone that doesn't look like you, yes, it's yeah. or you don't identify with. How how bad is it going to get? Yes. I mean, we've seen the way that police act overseas. We got a little taste of it in, in Melbourne, but I mean that's not unusual for a lot of countries to have that all the time. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The, the, there's very little distinction between the police and the military in, in many countries. And again, they're, they're the enforcement arm of whoever's holding the reins of power. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you, going back to Melbourne again, you, you saw it was just like a little private army. Uh, the police was for Daniel Andrews' government. Mm. And they're not supposed to work for the government. They're not they're not supposed to, you know. We I remember getting calls from the police uh, at the cafe I had down there to ask for uh, funding because they weren't getting fully funded by the government, even. But for some reason, they turn around and and uh, and do their bidding. It just doesn't, or it just does not sit well with me. This whole this whole sort of recruitment drive. Um, I mean, it's not the only. Um, not the only profession you're seeing this in as well. You're seeing in everything now. Yes, and of course, there's no mention made in these little news pieces about why, you know, why Queensland Police um, has a staff shortage. What what happened that might have made people might have made police um, with many years of service mm. and an unblemished record? What might have happened that caused them to leave their positions? I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> yeah. Or what about the ones that may have you know had some life-altering injuries that had to leave the force after a certain something. Yes, that that's exactly right. Yeah, I know. Again, just in in the the rural area that I'm in, um, there there were there were several. Um, there, there was a sergeant of one of the local police stations who quit because he didn't want to get a certain um, experimental medical procedure, and we out. So our our local police station is staffed on Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays. So um, if you want to commit crime um, in the little town that I near live nearby, the best night of the week for you is uh, is the Thursday or Friday or Saturday, um, yeah, we we apparently share our our police with another police station down the road that's a bit rougher on the weekends. So they send the coppers there on the weekends. Yes. Wow! <laughs> and then if something does happen on the weekend and and you put in a, a you know a, an emergency call, the nearest police station is actually um, about fifty minutes drive away, and they're so busy dealing with with their significant crime problems, they're not going to send anyone out. 
Yeah, I think I might know the town you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably got a little competition, but yeah, let, let's just say that they're rather famous for a particular brand of rum. <laughs> yes, yes, they certainly are. <laughs> Been there a few times now, and I've, I've seen it firsthand. I think so. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty town in the daytime. It's actually very pretty. Some lovely, you know, colonial era buildings. But uh, nighttime, hmm, maybe not. <laughs> All right. Well, um, don't know. Have you have anything else to add to that story? No, just um, my goodness. It, it's a it's a huge concern. It's a very great concern for the people of, of Queensland, and of course, it's not going to stop here in Queensland. It's going to happen elsewhere as well. Oh, I think it's a yeah, most likely a worldwide thing at this point. So, yep. Yeah. All right. So our last story of the evening, uh, and this is uh, once again a multi pronged story. Um, Dominic Perrottet backflips on the COVID vaccine. He has come out. Uh, let me just pull up this article. Yep, so vaccines do not stop COVID-19 transmission, Dominic Perrottet. Mm. So he's called for an end to COVID-19. Good on him. <laughs> yeah, well, great. Better late than never. Eh? Um, he's called for an end of COVID-19 vaccine mandate, saying the jab has no impact on transmission. Funnily enough, he is coming up for re-election next year. So, or was it this year? Do you, so. do you think that? Yeah, it's actually um, next month. If 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 I uh, if I'm correct in that, yeah, it's very soon anyway. So, do you think yeah. that might have anything to do with it, though? Mitch? I think possibly. You know, he's gone on. He's gone on Ben Fordham's show to say this. Uh, who I've had a bit of respect for Ben Fordham during this uh, the last little while because he's he hasn't shied away from this issue and he's been quite outspoken by it. He's, he, he works for 2GB, which is a, you know, quite a conservative radio show, but he's got a, quite a large um, listenership. So him coming out and saying something like this now is, you know, good on Dominic for saying this, but I mean, it's too little, too late. Too um, little, too late. What about all the people who've already lost their jobs? What about the families that were destroyed by this? You know, the friendships that, that, that broke up as a result of this. No, too little, too late. I, mean, yeah. I know he wasn't in charge of New South Wales, obviously, when those decisions were first put in place. But but how long has he been Premier? I mean, he's had a good long while to fix this. And it's it's not news that these so-called vaccines don't stop transmission. That's not news. That's been admitted publicly, including by by the CDC in the United States for a long time. I can remember when when Rochelle when Rochelle Walensky said in the midst of the Delta outbreak. So this is um say, middle of 2021, I can remember her saying these vaccines no longer stop transmission. Now, I don't think they ever did, but mm. it, was, it was on the public record as far back as, as, as the middle of 2021. These jabs don't stop people passing on the virus, okay? So what possible justification is there for any kind of mandate? If you want to take it, like if, if, if you've looked into what's in it and what the risks are, and after all of that, you still want to take it, frankly, I think you're an idiot, but it's a free country, okay? Take yeah. it if you want. But the idea that this would be forced on anyone um, at, at, at risk of, you know, losing their job or not being able to go into a restaurant or get on a plane or whatever have you, that's just, it's just absurd, so, yes, yeah, it certainly is, uh, especially with the, the the news that's come out in the last couple of weeks, which we're all aware of. And you know, I think um, when they first started manufacturing, well, not manufacturing research in this product, um, they were very forward saying that they were not testing it for stopping transmission. Mm, this was yeah. right at the start. 
So I'm not sure why this was news to people when they came out and said it doesn't stop transmission. 100%. It was not part of the the protocol for testing these these injections. It wasn't even a criterion. They were not not assessing whether people got infected um, or whether they were capable of transmitting at all. Yeah, it's it's that it's that confusion I think which which put there uh, intentionally between SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. Yes. These were vaccines um, against COVID-19, which is the sickness from the virus. People don't understand the difference between COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2. I yep. mean, technically, you could get COVID, you could get the same symptoms of COVID-19 from the vaccines, which I'd say means you've got COVID-19 because it's the same sickness. But people, I think they, they just thought, oh, COVID-19 stops COVID-19. So mm. that means it stops transmission. No, it doesn't stop transmission of SARS-CoV-2, the actual virus. Yes. So, um, but going back to the mandates, uh, in the last week, here's an article from the Sydney Morning Herald. So it says, critically ill overwhelms New South Wales emergency departments in record numbers. So it says emergency departments have been swamped by record numbers of the most seriously ill or injured patients at, and almost 100,000 people sit on elective surgery waitlists as New South Wales hospital buckle under the overwhelming pressure. Gee, that climate change is really harming people's health, isn't it? Uh, it certainly is. Well, I think it's um, actually artificial sweetener now that's doing it. <laughs> They've moved on. That's, yeah. that's the latest one. Sorry, now. I must keep up. Yeah. Gardening, artificial sweetener, and climate change is a deadly mix. Don't forget referees' whistles and pizza. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> referees' whistles was one of the best ones. <laughs> Sometimes you, you just genuinely have to check. Is this a Babylon B? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so easy to fall for it, isn't it? Um, so the latest hospital data for October and December 2022 reveals emergency staff had to scramble and to resuscitate a record 600 oh, sorry 6175 critical triage one patients and treat another 1000 oh, sorry 113435 triage two patients in life threatening conditions more than any time since reporting began that is just so it's it, it's bonkers isn't it i mean resuscitating them so the, these are people who um had cardiac arrest i presume um i I think it's a lot of different things just says ailments um to imminently life-threatening conditions so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah so it's um yeah here we go almost half of triage to emergency patients people with suspected heart attacks stroke and car crash victims what happens when you have a stroke when you are in the car robin and it's driving yeah yeah, yeah, the steering yeah. doesn't work that well, does it? No. <laughs> so face potentially damaging treatment delays waiting longer than the 10-minute cl- uh, clinically recommended benchmark yeah. for treatment. So uh, I mean, a lot of people died who, who, sh- who you know, sh- should have made it if, if treatment was started on time. This is crazy. who survived this are going to be living with, with basically brain damage. Well, they are. Like the thing is, is that genuinely injured people that come in maybe they've fallen off a ladder or something aren't going to get seen on time and they risk dying from the injuries because of a perfectly preventable thing like not getting a certain needle which is clear i mean look gloves are off now this is clearly what's going on there's no for me anyway there's no other explanation for this 
This if, is- there's, if there's another explanation um, why or if there's possibility for another explanation, why not launch an inquiry and, mm-hmm. and actually identify that other explanation slash other explanations and, and not, not this nonsense about climate change. I mean, for God's sake, who, what do they think we are? Um, actually, I think, I think they've demonstrated what they think we are. Yeah. yeah. So, so yes, very, very, okay, staff, staff shortages in hospitals. Number one, you've had an exodus of healthcare workers leaving their, their jobs, just like we were talking about before with the police, leaving their jobs because they didn't want to get the jab, okay? That's, that's category number one. Category number two, people who took the jab and are now badly injured and are not, not able to work at all or not able to work as much. Uh, category number three, I presume they're still carrying out this ridiculous, insane COVID testing, this, you know, um, mostly through rapid antigen testing. And of course, um, if people, if people want to have the, the, a day off, they can just hand in a positive rat test. And I understand it's not, not too easy to, you know, bodgy those things up <laughs> or just take a photo of your cousins or, or whatever. Yep. Um, and bingo, you, you've got the day off or a week off or whatever the heck they're giving these people. Um, and, and then, of course, because of the very high um, false positive rates of, of these tests, people are testing positive when they're not sick at all, but they're still sent home. You're not allowed to work. And so, so we've, that, that's on the, on the staffing side of it. And then on the patient side of it, yes, absolutely. We've had an absolute flood of, of people who are, you know, very badly injured from these experimental jabs. Again, um, I just, just in, in the little tiny town that I live near, um, the, the number of ambulances that we see, you know, tracking back and forth between that little tiny hospital and and the the one in the major town um, that's famous for the rum, <laughs> like they're on the road every single day, multiple times a day. Mm. And I understand from from the locals that's really new. There was never that much activity before. Yeah, yeah. I, I live on a main road here, and uh, there's patches there where it's just nonstop. I was seeing three ambulances a day when I was out in the road and I was hearing them probably another 10 going past my house. I mean, you could say this because I'm on a main road, but I do, we do go through phases. Like at the moment, it's not that busy. Um, mm. But I remember we first moved in here was right at the, at the point, I think where the boosters um, mm. were getting rolled out and it was, it was astonishing. We we're just like, am I just hearing things? Am I just like, um, am I expecting to hear them more often? You know, that, that does happen, but yeah. Yes. No, I think that's been disproven now by just I've just noticed the peaks and troughs of when these things happen. Mm. There's only one. There's only one reason for that, and it's as as you know, it's not stevia or climate change. So no, no, how ridiculous! And and of course, I mean, in in terms of the um the temporal relationship between you know jab rollouts and and, and these incidents, there there is as you know, there's a there's a peak of um, adverse reactions that occur just within the first um the first couple of days to, to the first week of people getting these jabs, but then there's there's cumulative damage that's done. Right, and so months down the track, when the person has had no apparent symptoms at all, they can suddenly have a stroke, suddenly have a you know um, a, uh, a serious clotting event somewhere in their body, and yeah. they they had either no warning before or just very very minor symptoms that they would never have you know thought longer than 50, 15 seconds about, and that that's their blood clotting. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely happening. They've admitted that that's happening, but I mean, obviously their first go-to is it's it's the COVID-19 virus itself, which I think in some cases it probably is because the spike protein is present in both, uh, just in lesser numbers in the virus itself. But um, And pe- people who got jabbed and then got COVID tend to be a lot mm. sicker than, than those who just got you know, just got sick with with COVID, you know, in the absence of the jab. And this is the, what I actually said at the start of this. I said, this is going to injure a lot of people, but they're going to blame it on COVID. And it's easy to do because these people get COVID and then they might have a, a stroke yep. afterwards because it's the overloading of the spike protein in the system yeah. as well, well as the, the other crap. The, the, the jab pre-primes their, um, their not, not, it pre-primes their immune system to, to have a, a dysfunctional reaction. When, is that ADE or is that just something else? Probably not. Probably not. It's it's more related to um, uh, it's it's more related to a a clotting response to yep. the spike protein when it enters the body through the virus. Okay, so I mean, you, you've got sorry, it's probably a bit beyond the scope of this podcast. There there are several. Um, uh, there are actually multiple mechanisms by which the immune system mops up viruses, bacteria, whatever. And um, in in this in the case of this ramped up immune response, it's it's the 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 clotting um, the clotting side of that whole immune operation is exacerbated. Okay. Yeah. 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 There's plenty of mechanisms in the body that we have nearly no idea of how they work. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've written some stuff about it, have you? Um, about the effects of getting COVID after the jab, I haven't actually covered that. Yeah, but there's a, J- Jessica Rose is is the the go to for that. She's she's got a Substack called Unacceptable Jessica, and she has covered so many of these issues about you know what's happening to people's immune systems and all these you know all these phenomena like people people getting sick multiple times, like getting COVID over and over and over and over again, but only if they've had the jabs. So there's there's this whole um, there's this whole issue of IgG four antibodies which i just put a sub stack out um, today on the fact that the whooping cough vaccine that we use in australia also triggers these igg4 antibodies and look again a bit beyond the scope of this episode but long story short these igg4 antibodies um slant the immune system toward tolerance rather than attacking and destroying the mm. pathogen okay so in other words people um harbor these pathogens for extended periods of time and that's we're seeing an increase in igg4 antibodies in people who who get the covid jabs especially if they go for the booster and the same thing has been found with um, the acellular pertussis vaccine the whooping cough vaccine that's used here in australia yeah, it's a it's a leaky vaccine, isn't it? So yes. it, all it does is mask uh, your symptoms, it's which <laughs> means we, you can easily go and give it to you. A whole lot of so you know, like pertussis marys, not typhoid marys, but pertussis marys out there in the community, harboring you know uh, colonies of, of Bordetella pertussis, but they don't have any apparent symptoms, so they get to spread their their pooping cough germs around the the place, um, but because they don't have clinical illness, no one knows that it's them doing it. <laughs> craziness stuff you only know if you read into it so yeah please please do read into it everyone um and if you want to read more of robin's stuff go to her sub stack i'll put it in the show notes at the end um of this show so i've just got i've got a um a little clip here um john scarrett who we've actually brought up three times in a row on the show now because i think this guy's just an absolute criminal 
but he explains how paracetamol is actually more dangerous than the COVID vaccine. By way of indication, since the beginning of the COVID pandemic, more than 10 times as many people have died from paracetamol, from Panadol, than from adverse events due to COVID vaccines. After you've Th touched and yet, you, and yet we're not banning paracetamol. Thank you. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you even say about that guy? What do you even say about that guy? I mean, um, yeah, paracetamol is a dangerous drug. There's no doubt about it. And, you know, I've written about paracetamol and, and, and how it should not be used and, and no no medication that lowers temperature should be used when a person has a fever um, in, in, I won't say no, but certainly in, in, in home use applications, let's yeah. just say. But Skerritt knows damn well that the TGA has been suppressing the uh, the reporting of adverse reactions to these jabs through a variety of means. I mean, um, those those who attended the um, uh, the the Peter McCulloch tour uh, in the major cities and some of the more regional cities in Queensland will have seen the presentation by Melissa McCann, and she obtained through freedom of information requests uh, the the details of several children children people under the age of eighteen who had a COVID vaccine, so-called vaccine, and died. And the TGA acknowledged that their deaths were due to the shots, but they did not make that public. So how many other of these cases is, it, well, Skerritt's retired now, how many other of these cases is the TGA sitting on? We know there's a massive underreporting factor. Look, this is this is anecdotal, okay? I fully acknowledge this. But a uni friend of my son's got his second shot um, and developed myocarditis. And he uh, presented to the Mater Hospital, you know, major hospital in Brisbane. And while he was there, he was told by one of the, the junior doctors, we're seeing 30 or four like you a week, but we're not allowed to talk about it. And his case was never reported to Dane. It was never reported as an adverse reaction. And it's it's uh, extremely likely, given the the feedback from this young doctor, that none of the other other kids and adults who who develop myocarditis after their jabs, none of those were reported to today either. Yeah, it's it's just astonishing. I mean, there's been almost a thousand reported deaths to this, and these are just the deaths. I mean, we get carried away with the deaths, but there are worse things than death. Yeah, there actually are. Their, their death is very bad for for the the family of the person, but geez, you know, living with with permanent disability. What would you prefer? Would you rather would you rather be Maddie de Garay, you know, with a feeding mm. tube in your nose and constant pain? Would you rather be that, or would you rather be dead? Like it's a tough one. Seriously, well, that's the girl that had a stomachache, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Functional abdominal pain. Abdominal which, pain. That's which right. those 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 in the sort of health field know that functional abdominal pain means there's actually nothing wrong with the kid. It's all in her head. It doesn't just mean oh stomachache. It means yeah, she's she's a bit neurotic, and maybe her mother's a bit you know neurotic too. And so we're going to call it functional abdominal pain. Wow. Well, mother is probably neurotic signing her now, daughter, up, daughter yeah. up to a bloody um yeah drug oh, trial in the first place a, but that's a that's a whole other story i mean yeah, um, not our not our place to judge but not, not, not our uh, place not our place i just i do have very mixed feelings um 
I, yeah, but I have nothing but, but uh, compassion for her and her family and the hell that they are going through and the hell that they will continue to go through, you know, for some considerable period of time and, and, and unless and until someone does the kind of research that's needed to, to figure out what is happening with these people and help them. Yeah. They desperately need that help. Yeah. So scare it. Honestly, he'll, he'll retire on a, on a, I'm sure he got a lovely, lovely payout and get a big fat government super. That's, that's our, our taxpayers dollars hard at work once again. Yeah. Well, I hope he's got big, tall gates around his house. That's all I can say. <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, so look, I was going to go into a little bit more about the FBI, um, Wuhan. I'm sure everybody's heard the news. I'm actually going to finish on this, just this little last story here. And um, just to top off what we've been talking about, uh, almost 20,000 more people died in Australia last year and anticipated. So this is just a, you know, just to really nail it in how bad this has been. And this is after the year before, during COVID, we had a negative mortality rate. That's exactly right. We yeah. we had um, less than expected mortality in 2020, in indeed. Yeah. And then, uh, so I, I believe it's 15, a uh, bit over 15 percent um, excess mortality for 2022. Yeah, it says tw- it says 12 percent here in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, they said COVID is a reason for 10,300 extra deaths, but I mean, I think we sort of debunked this the last time we talked about it. This is respiratory respiratory diseases respiratory diseases sorry were down on yeah. last year and and what what did you have to do to be labeled as a as a covid death all you had to have was a positive um pcr test for sars-cov-2 yep. a test that that we know was ramped up to um a very high number of cycles of amplification so well at least 38 cycles in victoria because I, I got direct uh confirmation from the health department there when I wrote to, up to 45 in New South Wales, I, yeah. I did see a, a freedom of information request on that up to 45, right? So yeah. that, that was a, that was a bogus test. And we, we know perfectly well that there were people who died of various other conditions whose deaths were, were labeled as COVID deaths. So that, that figure of, what did you say? 10,000 deaths were due to COVID? Well, 10,000. Yeah. COVID a contributing factor. Contributing. Oh, sorry. No, sorry. It says, the COVID, the reason for 10,300 extra deaths and a contributing factor in an additional 2,900. So I have no idea what that even means. Yeah, it's very it's very slippery language, isn't it? It's typical bureaucrat speak. Yeah, and it says there were 16, sorry, 6,600 remaining excess deaths with no mention of COVID on the death certificate. So mm. these are excess deaths now, 6,600. Let's just point something out. Okay, so those deaths occurred after... 90 plus percent of the population had their jabs. Yes. Right? So in other words, our COVID death toll post-jab was higher than our COVID death toll, death toll pre-jab. Come on, wake up, everybody. Yeah, and we're expected to believe that um, they're safe and effective. 93 to 94% of all Australians over the age of 16 got it. And they're so safe and effective that 10,000 people are still dying from COVID. Yeah. And, it's, and it's not the unvaccinated because the New South Wales data has completely debunked that. Which so, is why I stopped publishing it. <laughs> yeah. So what is it? Is it effective or not? 
Does yeah. it stop serious disease and death? No. Let, but- let, me just, let me just point something out. So our COVID death toll has been the highest during the period of the virus's evolution when it's basically um, just turned into another coronavirus, another common cold virus. Mm-hmm. So we've had more deaths after the virus kind of mutated into a form that was, sure, more transmissible, but a lot less dangerous. Yeah, it's- I mean, at this point, I think if you still believe this trap that's being fed to you, then there, there really is no hope. Bridge to sell using central bank digital currency, perhaps, <laughs> but, you, but you need your digital ID to be able to buy it. Oh, God. So, yeah, I think, um, look, I'll finish this off just by saying deaths from respiratory diseases were 10% lower than expected, despite influenza circulating in Australia again last year, which we were told was the, an enormously bad influenza season. And I'm, I'm pretty sure COVID's a respiratory what disease, do isn't it? these people die of if not a respiratory disease? Yeah. What is, what is COVID? Is that a respiratory disease? Or is that okay. its own specification now? I, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like I'd have to dig into the report to, to see what, what kind of tricks they're playing. But, I mean, it, it, it's not in 84, isn't it? It's not in 84. It's all doublespeak. Things, they, they just redefine words and terms whenever they feel like it. And you're supposed to forget that this word meant this yesterday, but it doesn't anymore. And you're a conspiracy theorist for saying that it ever does. You know, Eurasia has always, no, sorry, Oceania has always been at war with East Asia. Yeah. But Winston Smith <laughs> had not. I was going to say the same quote just then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, look, I think um, if you had actually looked at the the death data as well, there's been a massive increase in dementia deaths. Yes. Uh, what's the easiest way to pass off a vaccine death in an old folks' home Absolutely. for someone that has dementia than just pass it off as a dementia death? Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Just like yeah. they were attributing the deaths of elderly people to COVID at a point where, you know, they were just dying of stuff all people die of, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's my belief, I think, that the vaccines have killed at least 10,000 people in this country. Just I know that they people say 1% of, of adverse reactions are, are reported, um, you know, 10% of the higher. Mm. And I think... Because of the skeptical skeptical nature of people over this vaccine, I think it's probably more at the higher end that are getting reported. I, I would I would be willing to bet that really serious adverse reactions and death is a pretty damn serious adverse reaction would, would be less likely to be massively underreported than many yeah. of the other types of, of of adverse reactions. So yeah, I don't I don't think we're we're looking at ninety nine percent underreporting. Let's just say for for death but it's still being underreported, no doubt. I know Steve Kirsch thinks it's, what, 3 million people in, in the States have been killed? That's, yeah, that's that's one estimate that, that he's given, yes. Yeah. That's a hell of a high number. So on that on that, on that that positive note. On uh, that positive note. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably tie it up here because we've, we've gone over our allotted time of an hour, but um, it has been a really great conversation. Um, and, yeah, is there anything else you want to add to this last story before we sort of kick it down the road? Oh, look, I, I guess my summary to all of this would be um, it's up to us to take care of our own health. And if we know we can't trust the police, it's up to us to have friendly relations with our, with our neighbours and with other people in our community so that we, we, we start acting, um, we, we, we start taking care of our own needs 
you know, let's teach our own children because the government schools are really dangerous places. Let's take care of our own health because the health system ain't doing health. I don't know what they're doing in there, but it ain't health. <laughs> we 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 know now that we can't really trust the police and we can't trust the courts. So let let's let's form communities. Strong communities are what is going to pull us through this this ongoing unfolding nightmare. Uh, actually, in the in the next month, we will be having a roundtable with Serene uh, Tahifa. I think that's how you say her last name um, about forming communities. So. Please keep an eye out for that. There's a few exciting things coming up on Stand Up Australia. So please go to the website, standupaustralia.com.au and check it out. Register for some of these events because it's going to be a really interesting month. Please support this podcast as well. The best way you can do that is to just pass it on to a family member, someone who is maybe just getting a little bit skeptical of what's going on. We're not saying anything new to people that have been researching this stuff for the last three years or longer, but I think this could make a really big difference in someone's life that you may care about. So just pass it on. All right, Robin, thank you very much for joining us and uh, we'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Mitch.